Welcome, New City Church. Uh, my name is Tim Briggs, and I'm the community groups pastor. I'm also the Saturday night pastor. If you were uh, here with us last week, you heard uh, Chris announced that I'll be the Saturday night pastor, and so you're, you're stuck with me in the coming weeks and months. Uh, now, I'm, I'm glad uh, to be with you. And if I haven't met you already, I'd love to meet you. In the coming weeks, please come up and introduce yourself. I'd love to meet you, shake your hand, and hear a bit of your story. So glad to be with you. Uh, and some other news, some other family news from last week. We had our group link event in this room uh, this past Sunday, and 78 people between uh, our South Park campus and our Matthews campus found a community group. And we just like to report that back to you all because we rejoice when people take steps of faith uh, to find biblical community, and that's something that we want uh, for our folks. And so uh, just know that we do a group link event. Uh, twice a year, once in September, once in January, and so there's another one coming up. But if you are eager uh, to find a community group, I would love uh, to help you. So again, come up and find me, and we'll find a community group for you uh, right now. Well, we are uh, in the midst of our sermon series called Sent as we walk through the book of Acts together, and we're almost there. We're almost to the finish line. Acts has 28 chapters, and today we're looking at Acts 27. So we'll be in Acts 27 today, And if you've read this chapter, you know that Luke very meticulously details the journey from uh, Jerusalem to Rome across the Mediterranean Sea. It's a beautiful story of that. And if you've read ahead, you know that this chapter stands in stark contrast to what we've been reading. And so Acts 21 through 26 reads very much like a courtroom drama, right? Paul's in front of a lot of officials And there's a lot of drama and tension and dialogue. And then you get to chapter 27, and it it switches. We go from a courtroom drama uh, to a maritime adventure. So just in one chapter, it's like transitioning from reading To Kill a Mockingbird uh, to the Perfect Storm. Don't you just love how the Bible can do that? And if you've read this chapter before, you know how engaging it is. Luke is writing a first-hand account of how treacherous it was to travel by boat in the first century. And there are lots of twists and turns, but it it draws you into the story. And I began to wonder, what makes a boat journey so intriguing? What is it about boat journeys, these shipwreck stories, that draw us into the story? And I think these stories of travel, whether they're air or water or space, they draw us in because they remind us of how vulnerable we are. They remind us of how many things are outside of our control. They remind us of how we're at the mercy of the elements, and we're at the mercy of the people around us. And they all represent air, space, water. They all represent the great unknown. So Acts 27 has a way of drawing us in to this great unknown, and we feel the vulnerability and we feel the fear that Paul and Luke had. Yet, in the midst, as we study this passage, I also hope and pray for us that we see the sovereignty of God at work. The sovereignty of God at work even in our own storms and our own Shipwrecks, And so in this passage, we will see God's sovereign purpose, 
God's sovereign promise and God's sovereign process. His purpose, his promise, and his process. So let's first look at God's sovereign purpose. As a bit of a review, as early as Acts 19, we see Paul articulating his intention to go to Rome. He felt compelled by the Holy Spirit to go to Rome. And then when he writes the book of Romans, he indicates the same desire. Of course, the journey to Rome was not as easy as Paul may have thought it was going to be. You see, in Acts 21, Paul's arrested in Jerusalem, and he's jerked back and forth between the Jews and the Romans. And perhaps when he's at his lowest, he's been beaten, he's unsure of his future. In Acts 23, it says, The Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. And then from Acts 23 to Acts 26, Paul's dragged before many officials. He's defending himself. And then last week, uh, Chris led us through Acts 26 in Paul's defense before Agrippa. And the last thing that we read in Acts 26 says this. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Now think about this. Paul has been falsely imprisoned for two to three years in Jerusalem and Caesarea. For two to three years, he's in prison for something he did not do. And then he hears the message, well, had he not appealed to Caesar, we would have let him go. Talk about a kick to the stomach. So what do you do in those situations? What do you do when you get news you don't want to receive? What do you do when you're so desperate for some relief, but instead only more hardship and suffering come? You see, throughout the book of Acts, God's purpose for Paul seems to bring him some comfort and confidence in these moments. And it's at this point that I like to think that Paul, when he's faced with this news that he doesn't want to hear, I like to think that he remembers back to God's purpose for him, that he remembers back to his first inclination to go to Rome, the strong sense that he had from the Spirit that he must go to Rome. He probably remembers back to this this scene in Acts 23, which we just referenced, when the Lord stood by him and said, you are going to make it to Rome. Uh, perhaps he, he remembers Jesus' words. He was, he was told Jesus' words in Acts 1.8 when Jesus said, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And Rome represented the ends of the earth. Maybe he remembered that. Maybe he remembers what he wrote in Romans 15 of, of how he felt compelled uh, to preach to people who did not know Christ. All of these things point to God's purpose for Paul in his life. And so you see, circumstance after circumstance seemed calculated to keep Paul from getting to Rome. He's been arrested, tried, beaten, threatened, imprisoned, yet nothing could keep him from his God-planned, God-provided, God-purposed destination. God's purpose 
brings Paul some security. And this brings us to Acts 27. If you want to open up your Bibles and follow along, we're going to be in Acts 27. And we're not going to read verse by verse. We're going to kind of highlight some of the journey here uh, together. And as, that, as chapter 27 begins, we see Paul and other prisoners, along with Luke, being transported across the Mediterranean Sea on their way to Rome. And we're going to pick it up in verse 9. So Acts 27, verse 9, it says this. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilots and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. Now, this mention of the fast in this passage tells us that they're, they're making this trip later in the year. Later in the year meant it was going to be dangerous for them to make this trip. In fact, uh, some ships wouldn't even travel during this time. So this trip is going to be dangerous. And Paul's saying, hey guys, listen, we're in trouble, okay? Not just the cargo, not just the ship, but our lives, our lives are in danger here. Uh, And keep in mind, we don't really know if Paul is relaying some divine revelation that he had received or if he's just speaking from experience. We have to remember that Paul up to this point had taken 11 different voyages across the Mediterranean Sea, traveling over 3,500 miles. Paul was a veteran. This was not his first rodeo, as they say. He's done this before. Uh, Nonetheless, the pilot and the rest of the crew, they did not heed his warning. So they head out to sea, and you know how this story goes. It It doesn't go well. They get caught up in a hurricane, they get blown off track, and they start throwing cargo overboard. And this brings us to God's sovereign promise. God's sovereign promise. So we'll pick the story back up in verse 20. It says this, When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and have not set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart For there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. Now, first of all, doesn't it bring you comfort that Paul leads with, I told you so? I told you so, guys. I told you this this stuff was going to happen, and you didn't listen to me, right? Doesn't that bring you um, some comfort? Actually, if you look at the text, there's no retribution uh, involved in his intent in saying this. He's trying to prove a point, so I guess we can't actually take comfort in this which is a bummer. But 
Uh, you'll notice that this, what Paul's relaying here, is a very similar scene to what we saw back in Acts 23. So back in Acts 23, the Lord stood by Paul and said, you're going to make it to Rome. Keep going. And in here, in this passage, an angel of the Lord is saying, you're going to make it. You're going to make it. And in both of these scenes, God is giving Paul some comfort. and he's, God is reminding Paul of his promise. Paul says in verse 23, For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. To the God whom I belong. This implies ownership, right? Paul is acknowledging that God owns us. God owns us. This is the same Paul who said in 1 Corinthians 6.20, You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. This is the same Paul who said at the beginning of Romans that he was a bond servant to Christ, a slave to Christ. You see, ownership is not something we're naturally comfortable with. Rightly so, as no human should own another human. But there's more to our story than that. There's more to our discomfort than that. We want freedom from God. We don't want God controlling us. We want control. We don't want to be restricted. And yet, Jesus says to us, if anyone would come after me, what's it say? Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You see, self-denial, yielding, relinquishing control, this is what it means to belong to Christ. So, in light of this, the question for all of us is, do we possess Christ or does Christ possess us? Do we possess Christ or does Christ possess us? Do we put God in a box and try to control him and make him submit to our will? Or is it the opposite? As much as we try to fight it, As much as the world tells us to lean into individualism, Christ lays out his great invitation and promise. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So circling back to the text, Paul found freedom and comfort in belonging to Christ. And in this passage, he's clinging to that promise. Paul is also clinging to his faith as well. Verse 25 says, So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. God has proven himself trustworthy, reliable, and steadfast in Paul's life. And do you know what I love about Paul? Paul doesn't let his circumstances dictate his theology. Paul doesn't let his circumstances dictate his theology. Paul knows, he knows that God always delivers upon his promise. Always. Paul knows this. And do you see how important this is for us? Do you see how important it is for us to cling to God's promises? 
especially in the midst of our storms, especially in the midst of our shipwrecks, which we're about to hear. When the winds are against us, as it says in verse 4, we remember that God is for us. When we've lost all hope, as it says in verse 20, we remember that we have a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope in Christ, Hebrews 6. When we have fear, we can trust. When we have fear, we can trust. By the way, do you know what the most frequent command in the Bible is? This is a little Bible trivia for you all. Do you know what the most frequent command in the Bible is? The answer is, do not fear. Do not fear is the most frequent command in the Bible. Now, do you know, bonus question here, do you know how many times that appears in the Bible? That's right. 365 times. 365 times in the Bible, we are told, we are commanded, in fact, do not fear. Perhaps one for each day of the year for us. So listen to this. If you hear nothing else, listen to this. This is very important, what I'm about to say. For every doubt, worry, concern, or anxiety that we have, there is an equal or better promise of God waiting for us. Do you know that? For every worry, anxiety, doubt, concern that we have, there is an equal or better promise of God waiting for us to cling to. That's some good news. I hope that's good news for somebody here tonight. Our obedience will only be as strong as our faith in the promises of God. Our obedience will only be as strong as our faith in the promises of God. If we want to be sturdy in the storm, we need to cling to the promises of God. That's our only hope. Well, the story continues, and as it does, we start to see God's sovereign process unfold. God's sovereign process Paul has just said that they don't need to worry. They're going to make it to Rome. There is this one little detail, though, that he inserted at the end. We will be saved, but we're going to run aground first. We're going to be saved from this journey, but not before we go through some pretty tough stuff. In other words, everything will go wrong, but in the end, it's going to be all right. So as they continue to sail, they become afraid of running aground. And while they're anchored, some of the crew try to escape and sail away, but Paul stops them. And as they're stranded at sea, Paul addresses the crew. Verse 33. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Now the text uh, tells us there's 276 
people aboard this ship. Uh, Sailors, soldiers, crew, other prisoners. And outside of Paul and Luke, we were probably right to assume that most everybody was not a believer. And what we see here in in this passage is Paul, he's preaching to these folks. He's doing church on the ship. He's preaching. And in his preaching, he's displaying a concern for them. He's displaying his love for them and their future. So more on that in just a minute. The text continues, and they finally see land. And as they approach a beach, they strike a reef, and they run the vessel aground, just as Paul said that they, that they would. And in the aftermath, verse 42 explains. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. So they made it, right? Kind of. They didn't make it to Rome. (laughs) They made it to an island called Maltos. They made it to an island. They found land. They found rescue. And it's a crazy story. Acts 27 is a crazy story. I have to admit, when I first read this chapter in preparation uh, for this sermon, I wondered, why is this here? Why does Luke go to great detail to record this journey across the Mediterranean. Yes, lots of twists and turns, lots of drama. It draws you into the story, but why? Why is this here? Why, why did God inspire this? Why did Luke include this in the book of Acts? That's a question we should always ask, by the way, to understand what's going on in the text. Why, why is this here? Why is this here? In fact, why did Luke spend seven plus chapters in Acts, detailing Paul getting from Jerusalem to Rome. Why spend so much time here? And the more I studied the passage, the more I realized that Luke was trying to emphasize the journey. Yes, the destination is important, right? But Luke is saying the journey is very important. The process, the process is very important important. You see, Luke spends two-fifths of his gospel on Jesus's journey from Galilee to Jerusalem, almost half the book. And then you go, go to Acts, and Luke spends eight chapters or so talking about Paul's journey from Jerusalem to Rome. And there's a lot of similarities in both of these books. Uh, both, uh, Luke, I'm sorry, both Paul and Jesus face opposition. They both face wrongful imprisonment. They both face suffering. And in this journey, in the process, Paul is teaching us a great deal. It's interesting. It's hard to read Acts 27 without thinking of Jonah. You know the story of Jonah. Jonah is called to preach to a people. He's he's called to go to Nineveh. He rejects that call. He sails in the opposite direction. He puts his ship in danger. They're in the midst of the storm. Jonah goes overboard. He gets swallowed by the fish. You know this story, right? And in the story of Jonah, 
He's called to preach to a people, and his disobedience brings danger to his innocent crew members. Yet in the story of Paul, he's called to preach to a people, and his obedience brings safety to his guilty crew members. It's interesting what's going on there. And as you read through the chapter, you see Paul assert himself with the crew over and over again. He's gaining trust and he's gaining favor with the crew. At the beginning of the journey, the captain and the centurion don't listen to him and respect him. But at the end of the journey, it's the centurion that saves Paul and the other prisoners from being murdered by the soldiers. You see, Paul knew he had safe passageway to Rome. And he could have sat back. He could have uh, treated that as a get-out-of-jail-free card, right? He could have said, hey, I'm going to make it. I don't care about these other people. they got to figure it out. I'm going to be free. I'm going to make it through here. He could have done that. And he doesn't do that. He takes concern for those around him. He cares for those around him. He builds favor with the crew. And his kindness helps save 276 souls. In his process, Paul could have been indifferent to those around him, yet he loved and he cared for them. And I think this is what Paul is teaching us. This is what Luke is recording for us. Paul's living out what he writes to Colossians 4, what he writes in Colossians 4. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer each person. You see, Paul embraced God's sovereign placement of him on the ship. He embraced God's sovereign placement. In the midst of our journeys, in the midst of our ups and downs, we have to remember that God has sovereignly placed us as well. He's placed us in a time and in a place and with people for a purpose, right? There's a reason for that. There's a reason why you weren't born in 1800. There's a reason why you, why you are here tonight in this city. God has a unique purpose for you in 2019, in the city of Charlotte, where you live, where you work, and where you play. I remarked earlier that Paul didn't let his circumstances dictate his theology. He also didn't let his circumstances dictate his demeanor. Paul embraced, he embraced the journey even when it was difficult. Paul embraced his place. He embraced the people around him, and he displayed that he was invested in them for their good. All this to say, Paul embraced the process, and so should we. Part of God's sovereign process is also what we learn about ourselves and about God along the way. Why does Luke go to to great lengths to record how much trouble and hardship and suffering they went through in the book of Acts? And I think Luke includes this because this is what it means to be a disciple. To be a disciple means we suffer. It's the harsh reality of discipleship. And here's the deal. Luke wasn't immune to it. Paul wasn't immune to it. Jesus wasn't immune to it. We are not immune to it. 
Paul knew this. In Acts 14, 22, he tells all of his young churches, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. So when storms come in your life, when the shipwrecks come, what do you do with that? What do you do when the storms come in your life? What do you do when your life feels like a shipwreck? In those moments, do you feel like God is punishing you? Is that how you view God? Do you think your storms are random? Just a reality of living in an accidental, purposeless world? Do you try and run away from the storms? Like Jonah. Do you try and distract yourself? Do you run to addictions? None of these are biblical views. None of these are good strategies. So what do we do with the storms and the shipwrecks of life? I think Paul himself would point us to what he wrote in Romans 5, 3 through 5. He says, We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Listen carefully. God can still our storms. He can. He is able. We should want that. We should desire that. We should pray for that. And sometimes he delivers us through our storms. Sometimes he uses means. Sometimes he uses miracles to deliver us from our storms. But sometimes he doesn't deliver us. Sometimes he gives us courage to endure what's before us. Yet through it all, he's always at work, always at work in the world and always at work within us. God's providence is mysterious. It's so frustrating sometimes, but it's mysterious. His promises are always true, but how he delivers upon those promises, well, that's the, that's the tricky part, right? We don't know his timing. We don't know how he will work, but we know he's good. And we know he's always doing something in and through us for his glory and for our good. We can get so wrapped up in doing something for God that we forget about what he's doing in us. He's always doing something in us. He's always doing something in the process, even in the storms, even and perhaps especially in the shipwrecks. John Stott says, Nothing proves the sincerity of our beliefs like our willingness to suffer for them. We see this in Paul and Luke in Acts 27, and hopefully we see it in ourselves. How Paul deals with his shipwrecks teaches us how to deal with our own shipwrecks. And Paul leaned into God's sovereign purpose, God's sovereign promise, and God's sovereign process. All that to say, Paul shows us that to survive the shipwrecks of life, we need to trust in the sovereignty of God. 
to survive the shipwrecks of life, we have to trust in the sovereignty of God. So New City Church, trust in the mysterious, sometimes slow, but ultimately good sovereignty of God. Would you pray with me? Lord, we're, we're thankful that we can lean into your purpose. We can lean into your, your promises. We can lean in uh, to the process in the midst of our storms, in the midst of our shipwrecks. You have a calling on our lives. You have promises that we can lean into. There's things we can learn in the process, and we're thankful for that. And we're thankful for just how unique that is, Lord, and how that gives us hope. And without that, there is no hope. There's no hope in the shipwrecks. There's no hope in the storm without you and your goodness and your sovereignty. And Lord, we confess and how we, we run away from this sometimes, how we try to, to self-medicate, how we run to addiction, how we live as, as if you're not real. We confess that, Lord, and we lean in, we lean into these, these promises of the gospel, of your presence and your goodness and your sovereignty, Lord. Help, help us, encourage us uh, even tonight in the good news that you have to offer in your sovereignty. We pray these things in your name. Amen.